rising sea levels, extreme weather patterns, extinctions of species. Our planet needs protecting. I'm Adam Vaughan, the Environment Editor for The Times, and this is Planet Hope from The Times, in partnership with Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative. In this podcast, we hear from leading experts from around the world who are committed to finding solutions. These explorers, scientists, entrepreneurs and citizens are committed to a common goal, to protect our home, Earth. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Hello everyone, welcome along to The Ruck, the rugby podcast from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Alfie Reynolds and I've got Will Kelleher to my right, Alex Lowe to my left, but Will is sat on what looks like a bench in a rugby dressing room. We're on tour, Alfie. On location, pre-Christmas, but for the episode on Boxing Day. So I hope you've had all a great Christmas as you're listening to this, because we've been invited up, out of London, up to the north, and Sail Sharks are hosting us today, Alex. Day behind the scenes at Sail Sharks. Very windy. It's very windy. So we're recording this before they play Saracens on the Friday before Christmas, and they're expecting 45-mile-an-hour wind. <laughs> but also sell-out crowd, which we'll, we'll, we'll awesome. come to, I'm sure, but it, which rather indicates the growth that's happened at this club in the last couple of years. Really, They've, they've played before one man and a dog at times. It's felt in the stadium here in um, Salford, but they had sell-out crowds in the playoffs last year. They've had big crowds this season and, an, and another bumper crowd against Saracens in a repeat of, of the final. So we're here really to sort of tell the story of, of the re-emergence of Sell Sharks as, as a premiership powerhouse. Made the final last year, they're hoping to get back there. It's going to be interesting to see that kind of psychological thing. I know Exeter have talked about it in the past of getting to the big dance and sort of being happy to be there. I wonder how Sail are thinking about it Also, It's going to be interesting. They've got some good England players as well. We might have a, have a chat too as well. Yeah, so coming up on the podcast, I'm looking forward to it because I know we've spoken to the, about them so far this season and they're just it just feels like a club that is building something and a real identity to it as well, which we'll get into throughout this podcast. So coming up, we're going to chat to the co-owner, Michelle Orange. We're going to be speaking to Alex Sanderson as well. Some of the more experienced senior heads in the dressing room in George Ford and Manu Tuolangi. What a cast list. It is good and it gets even better. Does it? Because some of the younger guys as well who are coming into the team and seriously stamping their mark on this team and the premiership as well in Tom Roebuck and Joe Carpenter. Possible future internationals, but for which country? Well, we shall wait and see. So, Merry Christmas to you all. This is a little festive, a little post-Christmas present for you after the big day. So, first up, coming up, it will be the Sail Sharks co-owner, Michelle Orange. Michelle Orange, how are you? Hi, really well. Thank you so much for coming. It's lovely to see you all here. Well, I was going to say thanks for having us. It's our pleasure. Anyone who's willing to travel north of the M25, we're really welcome to have you, anyone. (laughs) Uh, The first thing I wanted to ask was, as a co-owner of a premiership club, and obviously the women's team and and everything that entails, there's been a lot of negativity over the last 18 months. What's it like owning a premiership club? What's the landscape like how difficult is it yeah it's pretty tough the highs and lows mm-hmm. um obviously simon jed and i have actually only been in the business of running a rugby club for i think we're on season eight now so we had a very steep learning curve a lot to learn i think a lot that we didn't realize we'd be taking on but i think the nice thing is that we've grown into that role organically we didn't necessarily have any tutors and there aren't any certainly any instruction manuals to read 
Uh, we've benefited tremendously from the advice of the other owners of the other clubs. Um, your likes of Nigel Melville, who's very instrumental um, as a, a mentor, really, for the, the owners of the clubs. And then, obviously, with the relationship we have with Prem Rugby, Simon Massey-Taylor, all his amazing crew, and, you know... With the RFU. <laughs> <laughs> how did you? How did you? Get, can you tell us your story? Because you were a proper proper Sale fan, aren't you? That's yeah, why I'm you born, got into yeah. it. Yeah. So you would go down to Hayward Road and all that in the noughties and things like that. Yeah. Oh, slightly earlier than that. <laughs> um, I was born in Bredensale. I literally grew up um, about half a mile from Hayward Road, the ancestral home. And I remember. I mean, my my dad always. I mean, in those days, I, you know, I was born in the seventies, so there was very little live football on. The only live football mm. you'd got on television would be FA Cup. And then obviously it would be match of the day. So as a little girl, didn't really ever get to see match of the day. Um, and my dad was always interested in rugby. So we used to watch the Five Nations because it was still the Five Nations in black and white. <laughs> um, and I always used to be intrigued when you'd get the football results up, you know, final score and yeah, the video yeah. printer. And Sale would come up because obviously we were really successful. We've always been a really good, high performing um, rugby team. So I was always fascinated by that, that. You know, we had Manchester United, we're on the right side of town to be on United fans, and then Sale. So it kind of grew from there, and then went to school in Sale, went to Sale Girls Grammar, which is literally a stone's throw from Hayward Road. Mm. We were a girls-only grammar school. The only way to see the boys was to basically meet at Hayward Road at the weekend. So that's where we'd go. And then a lot of our growing up was going to, you know, a lot of the lads played rugby. Of course, it wasn't even available to concepts for women to be girls to be playing rugby in those days but a lot of our school discos and stuff like that they'd all been rugby clubs because the, the lads all played rugby so it's, it's just always been there so how do you get to the point where you own it well it was I your decision was it to, to convince no, i actually worked for sale so the year that the sport went professional the premiership was set up i actually did a whole season working at sale is there i kind of have a, a few jobs but ultimately ended up like doing all the sort of community-based marketing and then we continued to be supporters. We weren't necessarily season ticket holders. We obviously followed them. I mean, I'm ashamed to say we didn't go to Twickenham in 2006 when they were on the show. I know, it's terrible, isn't it? <laughs> then we moved to New York in 2009. We've always known Steve Diamond, a um, long-time friend, and he happened to be in America with the Russian team, which was coaching yeah, at the okay, time. Yeah. I think he was aware that Brian Kennedy, the then incumbent owner, was possibly getting a bit of investor fatigue. He was obviously very worried about the future of the club and I suppose eventually groomed us into thinking it'd be a really clever idea to take over. (laughs) (laughs) I was 100% against it because we had a really busy life, quite a complex life, flitting to and from New York. Of course, I got my psychology wrong. What I should have said, genius, absolutely brilliant idea. Yeah, let's go buy a rugby team, about to hit the menopause, let's have a load of really fit (laughs) young men wandering around in shorts and training socks all day. That was really clever, but I didn't. I said, no, I don't want you to buy a rugby club. So I went the wrong way. That said, best thing we've ever done. Seriously, we've been together 34 years now. The amount of joy and pride it, it brings to us to be able to be so heavily involved and to help see the success of the club grow, not just on the pitch but across the northwest is and immense you've said i think before that the club's now signed into your wills yeah 100%. so you're properly committed oh <laughs> absolutely i mean they're gonna have to cart us out of here in wooden boxes when we go <laughs> Let's i'm expecting not. my ashes to be sprinkled on the pitch yeah because you know it's obviously a difficult business and um, there are obviously financial sustainability issues at the moment we're committed we love the club we love what we've enjoyed from owning the club for the last eight seasons We've got huge ambitions and aspirations with it. Um, and the last thing we would ever want to see is if we were to die, and obviously, you know, we're all going to die at some point, but if we were to go, who's going to take it on? Simon and I don't have children, not of our own. We do have 
80 odd players that we I very much call myself Mummy Shark. Um, so yeah, we've put it in the world. We want to make sure we can sustain it for as long as possible. And how big a responsibility do you feel to the? I know you've had the Northern Rugby Matters to rugby in the Northwest. Massively, because you know we've seen the struggles. Obviously, we're competing in an area where there's not only like the best rugby league in the country but some of the best elite sport in the country football cricket everything so it's a tight market and it's tight to win that support but we'd like to think we can generate that support even if you know the people of the northwest aren't necessarily coming to matches every week that they're actually following us and you know they get a high when they see us reach the final hopefully eventually lift the trophy so it is really important you know i'm a very proud northerner i've lived here my entire life apart from a few months in new york a few years in new york but you know my roots have never gone and I am you know I'm proud I'm competitive and I would love to see the club really succeed and continue at the top flight for a very long time. It's an interesting time to talk to you because eight years into your ownership it feels like the premiership is at a point where in the new year if everything comes to fruition there'll be a a relaunch if that's the right word certainly a a reset you know a new deal with with the RFU given the 18 months that we've just been through with the premiership how encouraged are you by what the future could hold for, for the league and therefore for, for the 10 clubs in it? I'm very excited about the future. I mean, I wholly believe that it, it's such a great game. It's such a great sport. It's such a great ethos. The crowds that you get, the atmosphere you get. And I would just love for that word to be spread. You know, they, they can sell Twickenham three or four times over for every Six Nations match. That's, you're looking at 320, 400,000 people who are lo- happy to buy a ticket to go to the Six Nations. Most of those people live in England why they're not coming to support their domestic clubs because they don't seem to a little anecdote but during um, lockdown I met our next door neighbours sons they kept kicking the football and then the rugby ball um, over the fence and I was returning it and obviously we were chatting over the fence and I asked a little lad who he supported football wise and he was a United fan and I said oh what about rugby he goes oh, I support England I was like oh do you not have a, a team that you support he goes no I just support England I was like did you know that there's like a Manchester United in the rugby world in, in the northwest?" he was like no so anyhow I think the next time I was here obviously we were, had slightly more access privileges than a lot of the rest of the country been able to come to games when play resumes so I was able to go into the club shop and raid it and get pencil cases and t-shirts and balls for him and his brother he's now like a firm Sale Sharks fan and come, comes to games so it is that it's like why do so few people actually relatively speaking comparatively speaking to who goes to Six Nations so there's there's that market that needs tapping in and there's a whole masses of generations out there that hopefully will you know come on board and, and join us for the fun and do you know what the answer is because i dare say that the the, the rugby community in the northwest isn't necessarily the same community that will go to twickenham for those games no. but there's an interest there yeah no I, I mean that's the million dollar question isn't it and if we knew then we wouldn't necessarily be in the position we are as as the club's Everyone tries really hard and you can see how hard everyone's trying. You only need to sit in in the owners' meetings or, you know, the joint commercial managers' meetings to see how every single club in the league is really, really trying hard to attract these new audiences. It's a very tough market out there and obviously it's a very tough economic climate for people. So it's a big ask to expect people to be able to to come uh, week in, week out to matches. But it's there and, I'm, you know, I'm really disappointed. I don't know how many people watched the the Mud, Sweat and Tears documentary that went out on 
um, Amazon Prime Amazon Prime recently. I first watched Drive to Survive a couple of years ago when I was actually isolating with COVID and I binge watched four series in about three days. And I was watching that and I was like, why on earth have we not got to try to survive? I mean, it would have been a very devastating time for clubs, but it would have been a fascinating time for clubs with, unfortunately, the, you know, the demise of Worcester and Wasps. But it really would have given you a landscape of how difficult it is. And even Welcome to Wrexham, when you watch that, yeah, all right, it's got two Hollywood stars with all their money behind it. But it's still difficult for them. It's still, you know, a task day in and day out. And I think if you can get people on board and they can they can get ingratiated with that, you can attract more people to come to the games. And unfortunately, the Amazon one apparently hasn't had enough viewers. I don't know for what reason, um, so they're not going to commission it. But I... I think if they were given the opportunity to properly go in and do a full season featuring all 10 clubs and also featuring like the workings with the RFU and the Prem Rugby to get the whole landscape of what's going on, I think people really would be engaged and they would come on board. Is that somewhere maybe where the women's game can lead the way? Because it's a sort of younger sport and, and maybe understands that it needs to market itself so much more. And you, I know you're so involved with the women's here, Sale Sharks women, aren't you? Like, is, do you see that as the big growth area of this club, but also English rugby as well, with the World Cup coming in 18 months and all that? I think it's definitely a way to engage more supporters, be it for both men's and women's rugby or one or the other. Doing things like behind-the-scenes documentaries would be amazing. It's like almost free marketing. And because, I mean, obviously there are so many sports documentaries out there, but there aren't that many solely on women's sports. So I think it would be fascinating. As now, we, you know, we're having this organic growth of the PWR, the Premiership Women's Rugby, it would be brilliant to get something like that going. And it is very, very different. I mean, although our male rugby players are paid well, they're not paid anything like a, a, a male f- professional footballer is, for example, in the higher leagues. But the women really aren't. You know, they're, they're paid a pittance, in all honesty, because we're trying to, again make it sustainable and slowly grow the wage bills um, because otherwise it's just going to implode. Um, but I, I think that sort of background, that landscape, would be really interesting for people to come and film. How are you finding the Premiership Women's Rugby stuff? Because initially Sale didn't get in, you didn't win the, the bid, I suppose, but then have now got in. Yeah. You're the only Northern club, really, yeah. proper Northern club. Yeah. Beat Harlequins in November. We did. Which is an amazing result, yeah. having basically not had a team, really. Yeah. So how's that seems like it's growing really fast. It, it has been. I mean, as I said you know, earlier, you know, we only bought the club in 2016. We had no knowledge of running a rugby business. We had a men's team, and a men's team that was performing reasonably well and had reasonable support but wasn't brilliant so it took us time you know to get to grips with that and not long after getting involved in the club quite a few girls who work in our South Sharks Foundation the community section of the club who were all rugby players were like can we have a rugby team you know they knew that the RFU were asking for tender places for not this PWR but for the the previous the Alliance Premier 15s and I just thought well yeah we need to we need to get on this now if we we miss the boat now it'll take us some time to swim out and catch it up so we did it during very difficult times in COVID, I mean, we actually did our presentation to the RFU the second day of lockdown. Wow. We all had to learn how to do Zoom. So, like, what? That's what, April. That was March uh, 2020. that was March 2020. Yeah. And then when we we got the nod, um, we had to recruit online. We had to get girls to send showreels. We couldn't actually do trials. When they came into training, which was August September that year, we could only train in cohorts of six. It was all one way 
uh, you know, masks, one testing, one-way systems at the training ground. So it has been like a real struggle. I think now this season we're confident we've got the right coaching team together. We've got Rachel Taylor, Casey Dan McLean leading the helm with some other amazing coaches, S&C, physios, etc., etc. And we've got a really good, strong group of girls. And I, th- I think this will be the start of us getting there. Are there some parallels between where the women's team is now and where the men's team was when you took over in terms of how you're having to approach it? In the, at that time, that was before you know, Manu Tulangi and George Fort. you sure. couldn't necessarily sign the kind of England players, which yeah. is maybe where you kind of are with the women's team at the moment. We're exactly going through. It's like, it's unbelievable. It's mirror-like. So yeah, when we, we took over the men's team, as I say, we were performing well. We were fin- finishing 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th. Um, you know, Sale is one of the only teams never, ever to have been relegated from the Premiership. So that's obviously something we've always wanted to maintain. But we couldn't attract England stars to come and play for us. We weren't sexy. We weren't necessarily performing... And they'd have to move they'd have 200 to move miles up north, or something, maybe. Obviously. Yeah. So, uh, and it, and it, well, full credit to Steve Diamond and you know the analysts and the recruitment team. We went out shopping in South Africa. We realised there was a market there to tap. You know, we got Trafter Clerk. So, who you know, admittedly at the time wasn't performing particularly well himself. His international career was faltering, and it was almost like a, a, a perfect yin and yang for us. He came in, he was amazing. He really put us on the map just because of who he was in the whole golden unicorn. But also, likewise, he's lent his experience, brought his mentoring values to the pitch. And that's why we've now got Rafi Quirk, Gus War, Nye Thomas, all coming through the ranks, who are all benefiting massively from the influence of Faf Clerk. And that's just one of them. We've got three Duprees. We had Johnny Ross. We had Van Rensburg. But the... The ratio of international players, of international foreign players, so South Africans compared to the homegrown young lads, is reducing. And what it has mean, it has enabled us to build that really strong team of northern homegrown lads. We've had the same problem with the women. We've not been able to recruit England Roses to come and play. I mean, about a quarter of least of the current England team actually originate from the north, but have ended up playing their club rugby in other parts of the country, which is highly understandable. One, we didn't have a particularly successful team in the northwest, so they're not going to want to come back and play for us or and affect you know their performance, their ability to get um, selected for England. Completely understand that. But then they're all clustering together. I mean, you look at Bristol, they've got the front five of the England team which is great but we're not going to be able to penetrate that so we've had to go roughly down the same road we did with the men we've gone overseas we've got some amazing Americans we've got um, we've actually got Amber Schoenert now Nick Schoenert's um, sister-in-law um, we've got the, the two amazing Italians Tunisian Rigoni coming so like Rigoni is like almost off after clerk on the women's mm-hmm. team she is that sort of legendary person and that again is it not only just helps performance on the pitch but it raises awareness off the pitch it's getting us into trouble with PWR and RFU because they obviously have EQP regs, which is English Qualified Players, which, again, is the most sensible um, practice in place in that, of course, you want to have as many EQP players on your squad because we, collectively as a league, are trying to develop the best England talents we can for the benefit of the national team. But we've got, like, in our under-20 section, some amazing, amazing girls, but they're going to have to have mentors on the pitch, not just on the pitch, but also in the training ground to bring them along. And without that international experience, it's a much, much harder and longer process. So that's why we've done it. It's not particularly popular. We may actually have points deducted this season if we don't make our EQP. But I'm going to stand firm and resolute and say, look, we've done it with the men. 
when we went to Twickenham with the boys in May, we had 13, 14 who were homegrown lads that we've developed, we've nurtured them. So just give us a chance and we prove to ourselves in a couple of seasons we can get there, but it doesn't happen overnight. Build it and they'll come. The classic Hopefully. phrase, isn't exactly. it? Yeah. <laughs> Michelle, thank you so much. You're so very welcome. We I'm re- sorry for waffling. No, oh, not perfect. at all. We really appreciate it and thanks for having us up. No, you're very welcome and Merry Christmas. George Ford, Manu Tuolangi. Good to see you, boys. How are you both? Yeah, great. Thank you. Um, it's good to, to be here chatting to you guys. But yeah, all good. Obviously in the midst of, of our premiership season and we've got... Um, uh, a big game to look forward to again, obviously this week but yeah all good thank you yeah we'll get on to uh, the season so far and the 2023 in just a moment Manu how are you how's that hand strapped a little bit yeah all good thank you it is better than it looks uh, <laughs> it doesn't look great but it's alright it's all good um, like Foley's saying we'll look forward to the game on the weekend Manu our listeners can't see this but I can You're, you've got quite a big scar across your middle knuckle on your right hand can you yeah. talk us through what happened? Was that in the Samoa game at the World Cup that happened? Yeah, I did it in the Samoa game and then did it properly <laughs> against uh, Argentina. Um, just got a play Which in Argentina? There. The playoff game or the um, group no, match? No, the last game. Yeah, okay. Last the game. bronze match. Yeah, so um, it's all good. It's, it's, uh, it's what it is, isn't it? It doesn't look the best, though. Is it all right? You're right with it. But it doesn't Do you have to have it fully it strapped? Best, is it? As long as it feels good, <laughs> it does. It feels good. <laughs> how, how, so you've been up this way for what? Almost three years now? Uh, nearly four. Nearly four. Yeah. So, can you, like, George is obviously from this neck of the woods, but can you talk to us about your kind of Northwest life, Manchester life, how you're loving it up here? I love it since the first day I came. You know, I love it. And the people up here, you know, they're so nice uh, and friendly. So I've been, I've been enjoying it. I'm enjoying it here at uh, Sale Sharks. What we're trying to build here, and Al and Sign, Jed and, and everyone trying to build an environment that um, you want to come in every morning, you want to wake up and looking forward to get in and see the boys and play some good rugby. It's interesting you say there, Manu, about you mentioned the owners and it feels like something is being built. It's something we've spoken about on the podcast this year that from an external perspective, it feels like there's something building does it does it really feel like for you guys even as players when you're so focused on say the week in week out match results that there's something bigger being built 100 percent. you know i think the rugby is the the easy part it's try and get everyone together the players i mean everyone you know you come from all different backgrounds i think the tough goal is try and get everyone on the same page you know, going in the same direction. I think that's why I take my hat off to to any coaches, man. It's it's not an easy job. I think the rugby side of it, I think it's a lot easier for them than their life coaches as well. At the same time, George, the, the van outside the stadium's got "Fabric of the North" written on it. The, on our way here, we were talking to the taxi driver about when Sale played at Stockport County, and that stadium was full and they had a winning team. You came back here for a reason to tap back into that your roots, I guess. But does it feel that the club? With a success on the field, 10,000 sellout for the Saracens game are beginning to recapture those days again? Yeah, I think so, definitely. Um, I remember going to Edgeley Park, watching Sale when, when I was a kid, and some of the atmospheres there with the great team they had with Jason Robinsons and Sebastian Chabals and people like that, it was a big thing. Sale Sharks was a big thing in the north, and we're definitely getting back to, or if not, we're back there already, in my opinion, with some of the atmospheres we're getting here, the amount of people who wanted wanting to come and watch us. Yeah, and hopefully inspiring sort of people who play rugby in the north, especially the, you know, the next up-and-coming boys and girls um, who have dreams to play for the local club, Sale Sharks, and, and hopefully 
bigger things beyond that. Like our job is to is to be good role models, to inspire them, and hopefully give them some entertaining <coughs> rugby to watch. Because obviously you need to play well and win to to make people come and watch you. And I think we're getting somewhere near that now. Yeah. Well, we got you, our kid. Yeah, you got that got that in terms of the squad though as well. We're going to speak to I think some of the younger guys later who were coming through. But there's quite a lot of them in in the squad now. Again, you look at your squad. You got you guys as experienced internationals, but then Gus War, Joe Carpenter, Aaron Reed, Tom Roebuck, a real identity of young northern guys coming into the team. Yeah, definitely. I was taken back a little bit by it to be honest. When I first came to the club, um, obviously the club's in the north. It's in, in and around Manchester. But how many like northern lads were part of the squad? especially the young lads coming through but um, there's obviously been lads who've been here for years as well like the Josh Bormonts, Tommy Taylors, Ross Harrisons of, of them lads who grew up around the area then you've got this next group coming through with Reedy, Roebuck, Carps, Gus, Tom Curtis and it's like it's like a bit of a conveyor belt really there's, there's another group under them as well who were, who were all coming through and I think it's brilliant like the catchment area obviously is, is big enough with the rugby schools and the, the local community clubs but yeah I mean for, for them guys to to have a, a dream to play for Sale, who were a successful club, hopefully at the top of the Premiership, is is what the, what it's all about, really. Manu, after the first Argentina game at the World Cup, you referred to George as our kid. I wonder, after four years here, are you are you really picking up the Manchester lingo? Nah, me and our kid go back, go way back, um, way back in the academy days, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and obviously the, the Midlands, 16s, 18s. Um, so yeah, we know each other for for a long time. Um, I'm basically a northerner now. Are you? Is that yeah, how you feel? 100%. Is that how you speak? Yeah. Well, it has changed a bit when, when I go back to Leicester. Um, they're like, what's, what's wrong with you? Like, why is your accent like that? It is, it is funny, obviously, because we came in the, through the academy at Leicester and we played for many years at Leicester in England. And then when I was sort of making my mind up or decision where to come, like the first person who rang me was was man who was like, man, I love it up here, up north. And, <laughs> Couldn't speak highly enough of it, and yeah. I was, uh, I was like, right, if Mario loves it, it must yeah. be a good place to be. So um, I remember yeah, that kid. Yeah. Um, I remember <laughs> they said it. He's like, oh mate, we're, we're trying to sign you, mate. I was like, I'm sorry. Like, oh yeah, give him a call for us. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's exactly what I said to Forty. Like I said to him, like, look, I'm, I'm not a salesman. I, I don't know how to sell nothing, but <laughs> this is how I feel about uh, about the club. Um, Unbelievable. So, George, it's your turn to ring him now, is it? Because what contract out in the summer? <laughs> big decisions to make. You're trying to convince him to stay right. for four more years or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he needs any convincing because, I, like, honestly, I see how happy he is, um, and you can see that by the way he's playing on the field. Like, it's um, it's obviously getting the best out of Manu. It seems to be as he's getting older and drinking more red wine. Manu, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it's good maybe, for the heart, they say. Yeah, <laughs> but, um, yeah, that he's like his performances on the field and training day to day is, yeah, he's, he's probably the best that I've seen playing with him. So, um, yeah, obviously every everyone's situation is different, but I know for a fact he loves it here and hopefully things get sorted there. Yeah. Yes, yeah, okay. <laughs> in your in your own words, Manu, like where are you at with your career now? You're 32, and I remember in the 2019 World Cup you said that will probably be your last one. Then obviously you make yeah. it to 23 World Cup. Where are you sitting now with the future and where uh, you want to be and all that? For me at the moment is. I'm enjoying it. Um, I don't really look too far ahead. Like I wake up, I'm like, right, let's, let's enjoy this session today, whatever it may be. And you know, like, like my contract, I don't even know what's, what's going on. So for me, um, sometimes you know, when you think well, too far ahead, you miss what's now. So I don't want to miss that. 
I love it. I love it here, like the, the boys at the club and, and everyone around. So we just try and give as much as possible for everyone at the club. I was thinking, if you don't mind me looking too far ahead, the Tuolangi clan's expanding, isn't it? You've got Posolo now. Yeah. You might play against him. He, French under-20s could get a spot in the French squad. That'd be pretty cool. I know. I, I hope so. I hope so. Um, he's your he nephew, can, right? That... Yeah, he's Henry's, uh, yeah. Henry's son, my brother Henry's son. I hope he progressed with his rugby and, and I hope he, he does well. Because for me, firstly, he's, he's a really good lad. It's important and he, he's good player. And uh, his dad is so old school, man. Like, <laughs> He'll make sure his, his his feet stay on the ground. <laughs> you met him, didn't you, Will? Yeah, I did. So we went to some top 14 awards and he was up for one of the Breakthrough Players of the Year and he was there in his traditional Samoan gear and stuff like that, loving it. And he, I think you, you're saying he, Henry's keeping his feet on the ground, but he was taking people off their feet most of his career, wasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some the, seriously big hits. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's lucky... That his dad's there, uh, his family's there. I mean, you know, for a young lad to break through, you need that. You need that guidance, and his dad's been there. And I always say to to Henry, hey, just it's good, but not too much. Yeah, <laughs> it's one of the other reasons why you're loving it here. Like, we, we know how much you've struggled with injuries and stuff all, all over the your career, but you've been managed really well here, it seems, and the good relationship with Al and the guy, the coaching staff here, and they've sort of, I don't know, married it up between England yeah. a bit more with, with how they manage your workload and stuff like that. Has that helped prolong your career a bit longer, do you think? Yeah, definitely. Um, the guys here, they've been amazing, like you say, managing um, my metres uh, week in, week out. You know, they, they have the live GPS on the field, so if, if it's up there, then we cut it. If it's not, then you need to get up there. So it's, it's a fine balance of, you know, not doing too much, but also undercooked, so... These guys have been really good, um, Al and Nav and Kirk in SNC and the physio. So, um, and they, they are working together as well with with England. You try and find the the sweet spot, which is is awesome. George, can you also like you guys have had that relationship for so long? Just explain how transformative Mano can be on the field. Like I think when you first came here, you were, when you were injured, you were talking to guys about putting him in spaces, not of faces and stuff like that. That you played with him so long, like how different does he make the game plan for you well I don't think there's anyone else like him in the world I'm not just saying that either but in in terms of like what he brings to us as a team blush now no yeah yeah. (laughs) what he brings to us as a team well first and foremost like physically energy wise is enormous and and he shows that through his actions and like I'm sure you won't mind me saying but like in terms of like leadership in other areas and like bringing other lads with us as well he's definitely stepped up as well in terms of that but yeah like what we try and do ultimately is try and put him in positions where he can be most dangerous or lethal with the ball and it's not like necessarily asking him to run through brick walls or th- but it's like getting one-on-ones it's like getting trying to get him the ball more in unstructured play in phase play um, where he can take people on because uh, good luck to whoever tries to tackle him in terms of that um, and then he's, he's obviously our defensive one of our defensive leaders like the way he um, the way he gets off the line and sets the tone with his collisions. It has, it has a bit of a deeper message, right? It, it just brings everybody with us. And it and you need them people in your team to sometimes not lead through their voice, but just say, right, lads, I'm going. I'll show you how to do it. Come with us, sort of thing. And he's probably that guy. Has Alex he's, given you the Malbec? He said he'd, he'd give you a bottle of red wine if you matched no, George's energy. He hasn't yet, has he? He's not. I think he drank it. <laughs> um, I think I said to him, "Well, 
that's the best thing to do about wine is to drink it. So I'm all right. <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> what is your favourite red? Uh, it's Malbec. Um, but actually, over the World Cup, my brother, he came every weekend and he'd bring like three, four boxes of wine from... Because uh, <laughs> he, he, he does catering. Okay, um, yeah. So He's got his own gin as well, doesn't he? No, that's my other brother. Okay, right. Um, but there's this um, winery, it's called Lafarge. The main wow. Lafarge in Perpignan, and he works together, so he gets a lot of boxes of wine. So he brought them up, and this bottle um, is called Narasa. Oh my god! Delicious. <laughs> 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 what I love, man, is your your you cause terror out on the field, but off the field, your hobbies are the most sort of sedate, calm ways of like snooker, chess, glass of red, make a coffee. It's like chalk and cheese. What you what you like off the field is what you like on the field. I just chill it's like to chill and uh with a chess it's nice to keep the mind a bit um going as well because i've got three kids now and they're absolutely mental <laughs> so i need to, <laughs> i need a bit a bit of time to yeah, relax space. yeah headspace a bit of downtime boys yeah. we really appreciate your time and just final one from me really we're coming to the end of 2023 a year where sale got themselves back to the premiership final for an hour of that game right in it and then end up losing great start to the new campaign as well where do you feel that the club are in terms of on the pitch how you're playing as we head into 2024 yeah I think we're growing I think we've come a long way don't get me wrong but we don't necessarily try and look too far behind us we try and look ahead um, and how to improve and ultimately we throw everything into our preparation in terms of that so um, yeah look we, we know that especially the way the Premiership is and the way Europe is that if you're not quite on it in terms of your preparation then you don't give yourself best chance to come play well at weekends so we're very much trying to stay in the air and now and look forward but um, yeah look we've got a group here uh, who are hungry and got great desire to get better from the from the players to the coaching staff to the owners at the top as well so um yeah, we'll just keep going in that direction, hopefully. Awesome. Thanks for your time, boys. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. So up next, it's like a revolving door on, mm. on this stage of where we are. One leaves, another enters. Alex Anderson, how are you? Very well, thank you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for showing a bit of interest. Always appreciate it. Oh, well, I oh, think good to be Sale are a club that there should be a lot of interest in over the last couple of years. The way that you've started the season, yeah. speaking to the players, the co-owner, feels like something is being built at the club. I suppose for you that's been over, what's it been, how many years has it been now since you came up here? Uh, three years, almost to the day it was kind of in the start of the new year when yeah, I joined okay. uh, mid-season uh, and just by a matter of semantics built or building like I still feel like we're yeah, building yeah. no and that's really important because when you're building it it feels fresh it feels exciting there's that old exp- expression I think it was a guy that ran McDonald's not Ronald McDonald not the clown <laughs> he said you're either green and growing or ripening and rotting like there's nowhere in between so if you built it you're probably rotting you know, we are definitely green and growing at the moment, which is exciting. And how big a responsibility do you feel to drive that every day, constantly building, constantly getting better? Yeah, it's the challenge. That's the never-ending, constantly shifting, because we're talking about people here. It's not just a business model that you can set the wheels in motion to and, you know, you, you invest this much and you get that much profit. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a day-to-day feel of, of what the team needs, what me 
my mates need, what the, the staff need. And I, I have my part in that. Like, I'm obviously win and loss kind of comes down to me ultimately, and I'm happy to share that responsibility. But I'm very lucky for if I'm not having a great day, you know, mood wise or whatever, I can lean into people that will pick me up. And that's how it should be. You should be able to take me out as a wheel and maybe a bigger wheel than most or a cog in the machine and the machine still run. That's, I think, the, the true test of how strong your environment is. How's, on that note, related, I suppose, the psychological challenge of being from going to the final and then trying to do it all again? I remember Rob Baxter talking about that with his Exeter team in, I think, 2016 when they made their first final. And when he got into the next season, he thought, we were happy to be there at Twickenham. There were lots of lads who, that was their first game at Twickenham. We were a young team and we weren't there to win it. We were there to take part in it. Whereas the next season, they were like, we're going to go and win this now. So how's that been for your squad and your guys? trying to come and do it again my, my worry was that in, in, when you experience true failure and I've said this before like true failure requires you to put everything of yourself out there and when you don't win when it doesn't work out for you it hurts so much that some part of you even subconsciously holds a bit back you know because it does hurt that much uh, that's true failure and I, th- I think we went there I think we we put everything out there in the final. Um, so we addressed it in Marbella um, with the lads. And I was like, look, I just wanted to know like, how you're feeling for that reason. And they were like, no, got a taste of it. Like, want more type thing. Certainly it hasn't persuaded them. It's only encouraged them, dissuaded them. It's encouraged them to, to go again and, and train harder and, and, and obviously evolve the game, which I feel like we've been doing. True failure sounds a really harsh way of describing what to most people would seem like a huge step forward for this club to make the final. You're on the journey, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're green and growing as you say, but do you have to look at it in those stark terms that you went to try and achieve something and didn't so therefore it's only failure? Or? No, we, we fail every Tuesday. Like, seriously, like we put them in positions where we take them to the extremes of, uh, of, of their physical capabilities and then we still make them fail. We'll still introduce a second ball or a scenario, a Simbin scenario, to try to see how they respond from failure. So I don't mean the succeed. The season wasn't a failure by any stretch, mm. but the day was. Mm. Coming back to, I guess, motivational drivers and the rest, if it is just down to one day, you live quite a shallow existence. There's 364 that went before it, uh, of which we had a brilliant time and, and put ourselves out there as well. But on that day, I think we, we did what we could and, and came away second best. And you have to accept that and either carry it, it gesticulate, it demotivate you, or accept it and say, right, we want to win this. We've got to be better. And I think that's what we're doing. I feel that's what we're doing. Have you always had that perspective, Alex? No. Did, like, have you, did you have to learn it? I had to fail a few times, yeah. We, we lost back-to-back um, games with a club who, whose name I shall not mention. Uh, back-to-back finals, actually. Premiership in Europe. I've had to, 2014, that would have been, yeah. Yeah, look, and you know, the motivation post that was easier than when we went back-to-back wins for the same reason that if it is just out a day, even though many people aspire to, to win a, a Premiership or a European, as we do, um, for the fortunate few that do, they realise that it can't come down to the fleeting moment that defines all the effort that you put in for the whole of your life. It can't do. It's, it just, it's just too short a moment to live and relive by way of justifying the sacrifices you make. So I've, made, I've said this before. It has to be about the journey. It has to be about the players, the day-to-day enjoyment. And when you stop, when the fun stops, stop, you know. And, you, and you're right up at the top of the league. They were sell out for the Saracens game. Was there a point when your concern that you addressed in Marbella ceased being a concern where perhaps the younger players, more than, a, than the, the more experienced lads who may have 
experience that, that failure and, and understand how to bounce back, where the concern you addressed in Marbella ceased to be a concern because you knew that, that, that the kids and, and the younger players, they were showing with their actions how hungry they were to go again. And, and, and it's proven so because you're at the top of the league. Yeah, yeah. from the start, I think the first few games, you can see where we're at because that's a reflection of how hard you've trained and mm. how you've prepped in the pre-season. And, you know, like everyone had numbers down. We started well, started strong and we were able to maintain that for the most part. Uh, certainly in... The manner of which we won games, which wasn't pretty at times, but just doggedly determined to, to find a way. And we've seen that more often than we've seen us on good form this season. And you get to this point and we're in a good position, which we appreciate and you know we've worked hard to, to get there for. But you're so far away from the start of the season and you're so far away from the end of the season, it can become a bit of a mucky patch. And this is where the challenge of re-energising, you know, believing that you're still developing your game. You're not just waiting on for, for people to, to lose games or to lose form. Like you've got to try and keep growing so you can pull away, not just hang in there. And that's different mentality for us. We've always been chasing around this point in the season. So we, we are feeling and finding our way through that. And, and can I just ask about the, the size of the crowds that, that you're now attracting to, Bumper sellouts. to the stadium? Exactly, which, <laughs> yeah. which is, is partly what you're doing on the field. Yeah. But... As we're, as we're learning from our day, it's also a lot from what you're doing off the field and, and, and you know, digging those roots into the community and, and attracting people to, to come and follow the, the club. You've been a big part in, in that sales pitch, if you like, creating that theme, creating the, this identity of this place in the last few years. How much do you enjoy seeing this place? Well, it's easy to out? sell something when it's true. You know, it's, I don't have to put it on, do I? I am here for those reasons because I'm a local lad, played for the club and all. Michelle, like, like she said, is round the corner, size from Withenshaw, Jed's from Eccles. So, you know, it's, it's very easy for us to, to beat, beat the northern uh, drum. Uh, but you can see it in terms of the recruitment and the retention of the lads coming through. You know, we've probably lost quite a few back in the day, looking for stars who were experienced and established from abroad or from, from elsewhere, whereas now we're, we've had our, our two biggest years by way of academy recruitment. And a lot of our strategy... Um, I had a recruitment meeting on Tuesday. It was just about retention. How we keep them on board, all these boys. How challenging is it, that retention thing, with particularly young England guys? You've seen it with lots of clubs. Exeter have gone through it where you get them all to a sort of international standard, maybe even a Lions standard, and then you can't afford to have all of them. And you're maybe at the start of that journey with some yeah. of these guys who you hope will get into the England team. Leicester might have it in a couple of years with their young lads have all gotten to that set-up. Like yeah. How do you manage that, especially with a small salary cap? No, you can't have everyone on top dollar, can you? But and you want some stardust there as well. That's the hell of a challenge for a director. Yeah, record, no, it? it's the biggest challenge. Working out the jigsaw succession planning, kind of three or four years in advance, um, and then you know having your having your squad, and then like you say, one or two of the lads just might see fit that they want to move for a change of environment, for a different experience, or you know maybe for family reasons. So the challenge is we have a lot of recruitment meetings, like bi-monthly, because things do shift and change that quickly, uh, being really transparent across the organisation, again with the lads. So if we feel like they're going to move on or require a lot more money, like we know in advance where it's going so that the, the, the final conversation is never a shock. And then you, so you're constantly planning, reshifting and planning. Sometimes things don't shift a lot, but most of the time they do. Understanding where they are in the market value and them understanding that we're probably not going to pay market value rate. We say that to them all. Like you can always get more money somewhere else. Do you think you're going to get looked after as well here? Are you going to play for a club with your mates where you enjoy coming in every day um, and, you know, for a wider, higher purpose? 
motivationally like are you playing for a region where you got brought up and you were born and raised and that has gone out of the game well until recent times here I guess you know the playing for the north used to be something that was you aspired to do as a boy can I ask you about two guys at sort of opposite ends of the spectrum one who's very exciting young player Asher a poker forward oh, yeah, yeah. been playing seriously well should we start with him I mean, yeah yeah go for it yeah what three or four five games and already making headlines and Newton, like everyone's loving what he's up to. How much have, was he? Is he someone that you have known about for a long time and gone? He's going to be coming, or no, has no. he kind of shocked you and come early? Because not he at all. No. Wasps, didn't he? Yeah, he's one of the ones that have strengthened the squad along with the other, you know, fifty to hundred players who have strengthened the Premiership. And I think you can see the the strengthening of these squads and the effect that that's had in Europe. Mm. They are stronger squads. Leon Cullen from Leinster mentioned that last week to me. They can see it, you know. So we were very lucky to pick Asher up. Um, and and not he wasn't highly rated for the England schoolboys set up at the time. A tight head, and they want him to play loose head. And so we're like, but you know, these tight heads are rare anyway. And we want to give this lad a chance, as I've said, because we're looking to invest in academy. Got me into a scrum session, and I'm just watching him go against Sam Mark. I'm like, geez, like, how's he holding out there? Like, seeing him do things that 18 year olds don't do. And then the feedback from the lads was like, this guy is strong now. Like, can't dig him out. You know, that right hand side. But looks, doesn't look a lot like a lot to him. He's going to put quite short, the, isn't he? He's yeah. quite short. He's quite narrow in his shoulders. He's quite heavily muscled and not a lot of fat on him. You know, normal tight heads are like barn doors. <laughs> so if they lose the hit, they can just win it through weight. Now he hasn't got the weight, but there must be something like a, a super strength around his core because if he loses the hit, he can still sit in there and dig it out. Once he starts to get a bit of weight on and win the hit, then you're going to start seeing special things in terms of him going forward and winning penalties, and that's not far off. You mentioned that England have seen him as a loose head. They still yeah. see him as a loose head. How do you manage that? Because it's, it's an area of such specialty. How, how do you manage that? his development in conjunction with England where at the moment you see him on a different side of the front row? Well, he's still young. You know, it'll go back to 20s, hopefully, in a couple of weeks' time so we can prep for the Six Nations when I give him that opportunity, if we can. Uh, we don't want to pigeonhole on either side at this moment in time. There's no prop that's able to play both sides effectively you know, and switch quickly he might be the exception moving forward you never know so I talked to Andy Titchell who's the 20s coach and he comes up and sees us I played with him here so we've got a good relationship there we'll again keep the communication really transparent Tom Harrison came up the England forwards coach had a look at him and I just think like they get to spend they get to see him maybe a couple of times a year and spend a few camps with him we get to see him every day like our understanding and we, we win the most penalties at the moment in the premiership by way of scrum so by rights ours is should be, you know, the, the standard bearing opinion when it comes to scrum. Not that they don't have one, we'll take it on board, but moving forward, tight heads are harder to find than loose heads. Good ones. So if you can if you can make someone who's that dynamic into a tight head, it just makes sense to me, like I've said before, he'd be an exceptional tight head. Very good loose head. But because of his dynamism and mobility, like different level tight head. Um, and hopefully they'll come come round to that come down to sense at some point. At the other end of the spectrum, you've got Manu Tuolangi, 32. Yeah. <laughs> he said himself he wasn't going to he wasn't going to do a World Cup after 2019. He obviously <laughs> did. Um, how important has he been to the whole project as well? I mean, he's not a, a Northern lad like George Ford is coming back or something. But honorary, he's, honorary, he's an Northern honorary. Lad. Yeah, he's calling loves... everyone our kid and all that. Yeah, he's yeah, bought yeah, into yeah, it, hasn't he? Yeah. Yes. He, he well, probably could have made good tight back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's nearly up to four years now. Up at sale, 2020? Yeah, 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 I've not been counting. Certainly all my time that's been here, and he was injured during the start of it. I've got a 
always always had a bit of a, a man crush on on Manu because when I grow up I want to be more like him. <laughs> Physical. Well, no, Dominant. he's just, no. We've seen him. He's just so chilled out, isn't yeah. he? He's, he's just so relaxed, so kind of worldly wise. Always smiling. I can't say the same for myself. You know, he's always super positive. Even when he's banging people, that's when he smiles the most. Like that's, there's nothing scarier, is there, <laughs> than a smiling Manu Tualangi. And he brings like a, a positive, excited energy rather than a nervous energy to the group when he plays and on the training field. So despite what he does, balling and his ability just to dominate the game line, like there's a an extra string to his bow I'd say in terms of the effect he has on the people around him and you, you probably felt that when you were sat next to him. There's an expression, it's not an expression actually, a neuroscientist who works for the special forces says that the skin is not the outside of you, they know this now right, you're watching a film, you co-regulate your respiratory system to the person sat next to you without even knowing it Without Sync any kind up. Of, yeah you do, yeah. you know like women and menstrual cycles, it's been proven so if there's such a thing as positive energy and it is contagious and it's been proven to be so, Manu's the person that comes out of more than anyone else. You've played with and worked with a lot of big players who have big influences on teams. Were you even aware of the idea of, of this energy that you just described as, as being a, a, a factor? You, you know, you'd have seen an, an Owen Farrell in, in a squad environment just yeah, yeah, for I've example. Seen, yeah, yeah, I've seen it in a different way, it's similar. Yeah, you can but were you aware of the concept of it? Is that just something oh, you've yeah. more recently? Or? Yeah, no, I think like the science is now catching up to coaches' feel. Like yeah. everyone knows and understands that an environment and the sum of the parts and all that has relevance. You know, the the closer the team, the tighter the team, the better connections. Now science just has just proven it to be the case. Like increases oxytocin, which means you can run further, run for longer, and that is farmed through a sense of family and, and a higher purpose really. So I've always been aware of it. It's always the, been the thing that's driven me as a coach. Uh, like I say, now, now, now we can just prove it to be true. And, and is it something on the recruitment subject? Less retention because yeah. you know them, but how do you judge it in recruitment? Yeah, yeah. So we go through the due process that everyone goes through. So we'll watch the games and I'll spread the clips out through the coaches and we have a little chat about is he the right fit for us with that, you know, in relation to our game model. So we ask to pass the mustard in terms of talent and then the interview process starts, really, in terms of when we meet him, how often we meet him, meeting his family, speaking to his dad, speaking to his girlfriend, understanding who he is as a person, kind of what's his story, because the, the what, what he does, he's already, normal people ring up and they yeah, say, well, what can you bring, what do you like about our mm. game, like it's all, it's all BS that really, once you're to that, st- that stage, it's like, how are you going to fit in, what's your support network, what are you interested in, are you interested in something, and going down the roots of whether the character will add to the environment or not. But take away. You went up mountain walking with Manu, didn't you? When you first started, I won't call Shutland slow a mountain, but hill, uh, <laughs> <laughs> hill, fell yeah, walking. Yeah, yeah, fell walking. And we did take him up Snowdon, but he had he had his Achilles then, so we took right. all the lads up Snowdon. We have been mountain walking twice. We went on the roller coaster down in Devon with the forces this this summer. So we we, we try and get out in the wilderness when we can. It, it breaks down barriers, doesn't it? And not just the fatigue element, but when you're walking next to someone. There's no confrontation there, and I find it's a good way to communicate, you know, effectively. So you take him up another hill for a big chat then? No, we said we'll just, <laughs> like, I know he says I drank his wine, and I did drink his bottle of wine, so I still owe him one. We, 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 we are at such a level now that we can just sit across, eat a steak, and have a glass of wine, and I think be, be as honest as we need to be. Awesome. Alex, thank you very much, and wish you all the best. Thank you very much. Rest of the season 2024. Thanks for having us. Cheers, boys. I appreciate it. All right, well, as Alex Anderson was walking away there, he said, oh, 
The Chuckle Brothers are up next. So Tom Roebuck, Joe Carpenter. Is that harsh? Is that a genuine nickname or where's, where's that come from? Uh, I've not heard him call us that before, to be fair. No, that's harsh. That's harsh. <laughs> Is that I harsh? mean, we, we get on quite well, but I don't know whether we're... Quite to me, to you, okay. in terms of the Chuckle Brothers. Got, hopefully you got a bit more up there than, than the likes of things. Yeah, but. okay. Are you, do you guys live together? We do, yeah. You do, so we you, live in uh, Manchester, yeah. Flatmates? Correct. So flatmates, train together. Are you ever, ever apart? Uh, we were when we were younger. Yeah, we were. <laughs> now, not so much, not. nah. The um, only time is probably when he's, he's in his room playing Xbox or something like that, and I'm, I'm in the kitchen. So you, do, really, you yeah. do the, the cooking, do you? It, it tends to fall upon me. Well, uh, he used to be a good lad and jump on Warzone with with the boys, but now he's just <laughs> sits on his phone and, and watches movies and does all the housework basically, which is perfect for me. See, now this is where the podcast could suddenly go down a rabbit hole we didn't expect. Cause you're talking my language now if you're talking about Warzone. We could get we could get into that massively. Right, we can sack the rugby off yeah, if you yeah, want. Yeah. I'm like Tom. What are you doing? Come on, you <laughs> sorry, need to. Sorry, you need I'll to get back on it. <laughs> yeah, uh, we've been chatting to loads of different people at, at the club today. And there's a number of different kind of themes and things we've spoken about. But part of that has been being the pride of the North and having young Northern lads coming through. Like, what's it like for you guys at the start of your careers coming into this team and, and being a part of that and that kind of project? I think for me, I came over, I came over from Leeds, but, you know, it's an hour away. It's not, it's not too far. It's not going down south. It's not, it's not that different um, kind of culture in that environment. So I think I slotted in quite well. And look, we've got, we've got a great diverse squad of you know a lot of South Africans but then also like you say a lot a lot of lads now coming through that that are from from Manchester from around here um, that grew up loving the club grew up wanting to play for the club and and now do so I think that that passion and that that love for the club definitely helps out there when when we're playing on the weekend and, and when we're training yeah I also just add that I think like with this whole mantra that we've sort of brought in of Northern Rugby Matters it's it's probably something that we've bought into as well especially as us young lads that are Northern I think that it, it just means a bit more to us being being from this area and playing for a club that like we say we've grown up and we've wanted to play for and we've supported before we did did enter this environment so just that, that extra push or drive to sort of bring on this team to do what we can do is, is, is massive for us yeah You talked to us about the environment that Alex Anderson creator he's been such a driver of, of of that theme and one of the I guess one of the themes of his coaching career has always been to to create narratives and, and things that people can grab onto yeah um what what's he like to work for how, how I presume it's really easy to buy into his vision but to give us an idea of, of of some of the narratives and some of the things he, he creates for you to really grab hold of yeah he he loves the story and he loves the sort of a theme of the week if you will every week sort of a new sort of thing that we're going after that relates to the team we're playing and stuff like that. So it's it's good in that sense because it it means you can like relate to it in in that way and you can sort of buy into something and everyone will go after the same sort of thing instead of people interpret it in the different ways, if you will. And like just the environment he creates is one of joy, one of excitement, and one of sort of drive as well. Like he you just he'll push you to be the best you can be, but it'll also be in a way that you enjoy and in a way that you, you want to do best best for the club and for your teammates. I think for me it's just kind of making every week important is something that he does real well. You know, it'd be quite easy to, especially this middle patch of the season, to, to get into just the ebbs and flows of, you know, oh, another game or we're reviewing a game, we're doing this, where, whereas that little extra bit of detail, that little extra effort from, from the coaching staff is, is massive in terms of making every week fresh, every week new. It's something different and it's something else to go after instead of just, you know, it's, it's, it's another game on the weekend. It's, it's that little bit something more, I think. Without revealing anything too too deep into the team, is there 
a theme from some point in, in recent matches this season or last season that, that really resonated, that, that sticks with you now? Um, I think for me there was, there, was, there was one against Bath, it was the Battle of the Bands. Um, it was just a theme around kind of their X Factor, their superstars and how we can nullify that and end up bringing the best out of ourselves and, and bringing our noise, especially at home and stuff, was something that was quite, that was quite good this year. And look, we, we, we got the performance that, that weekend as well, which is, which is great. Battle of the Bands. I think we had one a few years ago as well, actually. When we played Bristol, it was about a circus and circus bears performing and that Bristol, as they were back then, being that team that was just playing from anywhere, like really exciting sort of team, just throw it around. And we sort of just had the, the theme of cage the bear, sort of stop their circus rolling and just sort of poke it, if you will, and get it, get it to get a bit angry and then we can go after them in that way. I, I can't remember where either of you were playing, but I think I remember there was one around the Scarlets beat them away 50 odd in Europe and that was Slay the Dragon wasn't it that yeah time? I think we were there I, I didn't did play you, it did you not play that no, one no I didn't play that one either I think, I think we were both that was a great performance classic. as well actually can, we, can I ask both of you you've had a couple of seasons now in, in, the, in, the, in the main side and made it to the final what's motivating you both to keep coming again because that Alex talked about it with us it must be difficult when you're building all the way to the final and then you think this could be our moment and it doesn't quite happen so where have you come to now that you're in the middle of the new season of what you're trying to get better at and how you're motivating yourself to do it again firstly for us it's probably that feeling that we that we felt at the final like it was one of the the best games I've ever been involved in despite the loss and the the emotion and the the excitement leading up to that moment was something I want to feel again but I've not felt before and that's a big driver for us and then for for me and I'm, I'm imagining for you as well it's that sort of drive to be the best you can be and sort of go on and do bigger things like we play at Sale and we, we want to be the best we can be for Sale but we also want to be the best players we can be and if that's international rugby that's that's what we're going after Is that yeah. the same for you Joe? I'd say so I mean for me it was my it was my first season in, in the Premiership and you, you it was kind of that fairy tale story of winning it in, the, in that first year for me and like Tom said that feeling of that game and that feeling that you know as, as a squad, we were good enough to win, and we didn't on the day. And it, it just, I think, a lot of the boys that played last year, a lot of the boys in the squad this year, just, just like Tom said, just know we can, know we can do it deep down, and we want to do it. And you know, Sale haven't done it for, for many years now, and it's something that, that we definitely want to go after, and we think we can do. Um, and when you've got that belief within the squad, you've got that belief within the coaching staff that you can go out and do it. Then it's just you know, building through the season, make sure you get to that point again, so you can, you can get it right. Like that was that your first time you played at Twickenham, both of you? Uh, it was for me. I think you. I played had... there for school before once, okay. but it was obviously miles different yeah, to, of course, to yeah. how the final was. Maybe for you, Joe, if that was your first, is there that motivation too? You would both like to play Test rugby to go back there and say like, I would love in two years to come to get that England shirt as well as the Sale one. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like it's you know it's always a dream to to play that international rugby and. You know, to to be to have that opportunity to play there last year, um, get used to. Obviously, it wasn't packed out, packed out, but I think there was about sixty five thousand there. You know, getting used to that atmosphere, getting used to that many people being at a game, playing in front of that many people is, you know, definitely a great great thing to have happened. Um, whether we can do that again this year before we play international rugby, or whether international rugby comes quicker, is you know, no one can predict that. But it's definitely something that that we we both loved on the day um, and definitely want to do again. 
you're not dual qualified like Tom, though, are you? So you don't have as many options. <laughs> Unfortunately not. No, I'm an I'm a, <laughs> a English flushing. thoroughbred, so that, that that's my only route. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully one day we, we can get there. Have you had any contact either way, Tom, for either Scotland or um, England? Do you have to make a decision yet or not? Fine, no, there's, there's no, no, they're fine. not fighting. <laughs> Tug of war. They're not fighting. No, um, there's obviously been conversations regarding both both sides, and I think. It's more with with the t- team around here, like my coaches around here, that I just want to be sure that if I was to get get selected, like I've not been selected for anything yet. It's just a case of I I need to get selected for something first, and then that's when a, a decision is probably going to have to be made. And for me, it's just about making the right one and what feels right for me. If I'm right, you were both part of a group who met Steve Borthwick recently. Can you give us a, a flavour of the conversation? Was it just getting to know him? Was he out? Sort of laying out his vision for the, the next era for for England, Six Nations, and, and beyond. What, what was the sort of the, the nature of your chat? Uh, it was it was sort of for us more than the other lads that were there getting to know someone really. Like he needs to get to know us, and we need to get to know him, which is which was the premise of our conversations, I believe. And he obviously had a meeting with everyone about the England way, so to speak, and how England see how England want to play, but. For for the individual chats that we had, it was more just about getting to know, getting to know each other. Lads, awesome! We really appreciate you joining us. All the best for the year ahead. Really appreciate appreciate your time. Thank, Thank you, you very, very much. much. Appreciate it. So there you have it. Back to back to back. It, I said it during the episode. It was quite literally a revolving door of guests we had up here on this stage. Um, but awesome. Can't ask for better than that. Two current England players, head coach, co-owner, two young lads on the rise. Happy days. Yeah, I was trying to remember as we sat here, I think the first premiership game I ever covered was Sale Sharks at Hayward Road. Would have been about 2001, maybe. And, you know, they, they were building up towards winning the league. They had, Five years later. They had some star, star players coming through. I remember Clive Woodward was in the stand sitting just in front of us. And then, as, as Michelle said, they, had a, they, had, they hit the heights, they had a dip, and now they're back again as a team with England stars, with international stars, and with rising stars. And a women's programme as well. And, a women's, and, really it, cool. and it just feels like a, like a cool place. You know, it, I guess what Alex is trying to create is, I think as he said, they're not going to pay as much as some places, but he's trying to create an environment that you want to be part of. And if you were a young player with a choice, you'd want to be part of something here. You can feel it. And if you're, certainly if you're from the region, he's, he's, he's really tapping into that. So, yeah, it's been, it's been a cool day here, and, and, and it's nice to see a club like Sale you know, coming back and, and, and re-establishing themselves again in the Prem. And I hope that we can do this at other clubs too. Yes. Like so this is a plan, isn't it? If, if people are listening to this and say, oh, you should be coming around to our club, then get in touch. Yeah, we are going to hope to try and get around all the different clubs in the Premiership over time, but that's a, a task for the New Year, New I New Year's suppose. resolution, there you go. New Year's resolution. Uh, the next episode as well will also be our end of 2023 look ahead to 2024 end of season awards episode so that'll be coming out on new year's day and just a final thank you to sail sharks for hosting us as well it's been an awesome day up here love chatting to everyone that has has been on the podcast so really appreciate that from them but enjoy the rest of your festive period and we'll see you in 2024 hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 